Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and it's just me this week. I'm all on my Todd. Everyone is off celebrating Christmas, rightly so. So as it is Christmas week and everyone is relaxing with their families, we wanted to give you, the listener, a special gift. So we've compiled some snippets of your favorite episodes from 2018. And the reason is we have a lot of listeners now and viewers of the show as well who may have not been listening back at the beginning of the year. So we decided to wrap it all up for you for a nice Christmas special. So first up, we're going right back to episode 16. We flew to the UK for this one and we were joined by Angela Scanlon and Ashling B. We chatted about repeal, which in February when this episode was recorded was on everyone's lips. We also chatted about ethical fashion and Ashling B explained to us why it's so important to her. In general, I think this is something where where there's a lot of chat at the moment about the apocalypse approaching Mm -hmm. and what can we do in our own little ways to be the opposite of Donald Trump. And I think part of that is to be conscientious when we can. And as a country, Ireland is full of contradictions. A lot of the things that are good about us are also the awful things about us. Um, For example, our, our smallness in many ways uh, can make us small in our ideas but actually it means that certain things can take off very quickly because we're also very community minded and one of those things that I think we all have as Irish people is being conscientious and that is how you can fight a lot of the hatred and sadness in the world mm. being conscious and trying slowly but surely to look out for other people I feel is it's a it's a muscle that you have to keep at. It's yeah. something that you have to keep doing and you can look in your life and go, how can I do that in small little ways? For me, a massive part of it has been through clothing. I sort of realised myself, my sister Sinead is a costume designer and she's a costume designer in uh, film, mainly film. So she's done big be- movies like Beauty and the Beast oh, wow. and Macbeth and Batman and all sorts of big movies. She's more successful than me, but she doesn't like talking about herself as much. <laughs> and um, uh, she, on those projects, started feeling really bad about the waste and the amount of waste there was in the costume industry. And so she published um, a ethical costume uh, directory, not to make people feel guilty about what, mm. they, what they weren't doing, but trying to help people to do a bit more if they felt a bit powerless. And so I realised that that was something maybe I could do. I've got a voice online, etc. Yeah. And just, it's a very female problem. The clothing is one of the biggest polluters. Uh, obviously, we all know about the meat industry, but clothing is a huge polluter. Yeah. And it's a very female problem because we are the biggest drivers of fast fashion and the people who make our fast fashion are other women. Yeah. So we are asking a lot of the time poorer women in poorer countries to make our clothes for us so we can have more stuff. Now, there's a lot of pe- people say, oh, but you can't. What, but not everyone can afford Armani, not everyone can afford this and that. Mm. But something like Primark or pennies, and we've sort of, I think especially as Irish women, we've had a sort of like um, a code of honour. Yeah. A mm. code of honour mm. that we haven't spent much money on our clothes. Yeah. But what the subtext of that is, is we haven't paid anyone very much to make our clothes. And we don't like to think of that, but that's kind of the truth of it. The cost of making clothes has not changed in the last 20 years. What's changed is how much we're prepared to let people get paid to make our clothes. And yeah. that's something I became quite... And it's not something we really want to think about. Um, but well, slowly but surely we can change it. a little bit of guilt maybe when we think about it because yeah. when you really think about it, like you said, 
it is a female problem perhaps mm. and it's not that pleasant to maybe think yeah, that you're impacting on these women in these poor countries but Angela you worked in the fashion industry yeah. obviously for years in Ireland do you think it's just about like Ashing was talking about literally just bit by bit starting to talk about it and starting to kind of bring people around to the idea that it is important to know where clothes comes from essentially as uh, yeah. much as our food yeah totally I mean I think it's really easy to just breeze in and out of the high street or you know pennies always gets a bad rap because of the price but if you a stand in a shop and a sequenced knitted jumper is seven pounds then yeah. you have to ask your question the question who suffered in order for me to be able to buy this yeah. sequenced jumper and you know the jumper? big the big scandal is that yeah. sometimes some shockingly low price shocking and, yeah. but sometimes I think we we think the the, the disparity is a thousand pounds but yeah, actually yeah. some of the companies really if we all paid three or four pounds more I remember there's there's this case I can't remember the exact dress it was but Kate Middleton wore this I'm pretty sure it was a Reese dress so yeah, I'm saying I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. but yeah. she wore this Reese dress that was say for example 99 pounds and if that had cost 102 that would have meant that the wage would have been a fair trade price right mm-hmm. and it's that sort of stuff I, I just think as well it's not about making people feel guilty or going we all have to take to the hills and wear hemp yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. about slowly changing around attitudes this thing happened in Ireland with the Celtic Tiger where we all wanted to show how well we were doing consume 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 consume, consume, consume. Yeah. the idea that you'd get your um, communion dress off someone else was uh, you poor or something mm. the idea that you'd get your wedding dress from Oxfam was like you poor or something no one wanted to look like they were poor yeah. we wanted to go look at us now England doing we've well. got our own houses our own land back and we can buy new stuff all the time Thank every you very day much. and there's yeah. this I think we got a sort of um, uh, don't take anything from charity shops yeah. don't wear the same dress twice oh my god did she wear the same dress to the wedding but my uh, wedding is her wedding yeah. did she not find a new am I not important enough to her whereas actually we should be loving our clothes Loving, loving fashion, loving what yeah. we're wearing and picking stuff that we're, we want to wear and will kind of give us a bit of joy yeah. and wear the, wear the hell out of your clothes and look after them. Twenty eighteen will forever be known as the year of bloggers unveiled. So it came into our lives out of absolutely nowhere. It dropped bomb after bomb and threw the world of bloggers into complete disarray. So on episode seventeen, we invited one of the most targeted bloggers at the time, Joanne Larby, or the makeup fairy, as she's also known, onto the phone to talk about how it all went down. And this was the most listened to episode of the year. So enjoy this snippet. Influencers have been under the spotlight more recently in Ireland. I suppose you could call it negative attention, but it has been pretty much 50-50 in terms of the response to a number of these Mm -hmm. call-out accounts that have surfaced. So the phrase cyberbullying and online bullying has been thrown around as well. And I know you spoke about it at the time, and now the dust has settled a little bit. But can you tell me how this whole thing has affected you personally? Um, I think, as as you've exactly and correctly described, it's very much fifty fifty. So I it think has been, yeah. Speaking for myself, yeah. Speaking from my own side of things, I've definitely taken some points on board, and I think that it's incredibly important to listen to our audience, which are also for me customers and people that I directly speak to daily. You know, whether it be on Snapchat or DMs or or private emails, I don't like 
word influencer because it actually denotes that it's a one-way relationship yeah. and that you are influencing and directing something at an audience, which I don't really like. I actually wrote an article about why I hate the word and, and kind of explores that a little bit further. But I prefer to see it as a balanced relationship. So just the way I put something out, I prefer to take that on board as well. So I think with this, I definitely have taken on some points where people are slightly upset with the industry and yeah. and with anything when it kind of becomes, I suppose, so filled with, you know, saturated and, and it's such a prominent part of our society. Now, we do need to look at adaptations and change and take those on board. And I know that a lot of people have spoken about the likes of heavily edited images and you know, to be more real with the audience, which is very important. I know from my point of view, I use social media differently depending on the platform. So yeah. Snapchat for me, I'm as real as it can get, as in I rarely come on with makeup. I talk about very real issues and and situations that are more personal to me, whereas my perfected life is most certainly Instagram. And it is a social media platform that was brought about to be that, a very creative perfected feed with filters and I think that there needs to be an acceptance that perhaps if you don't like that approach you probably should follow people on a different alternative platform to see more of the transparent real them but also accept that if you like following a person they're going to show different elements and aspects of themselves depending on that platform yeah. so if you if you are not a fan of that perfected filtered life absolutely I don't like the phrase oh just unfollow I would just choose to follow in a different way. For example, the likes of Snapchat, that's speaking for myself. Um, but definitely to show what I've even started doing is kind of showing a little bit of the production side of things. So to show an image in its raw state before editing and then the process thereafter. So I've kind of taken a board. Maybe people want to know about this and maybe it's not clear because we're immersed in it. I'm very aware of it and have been for a few years. If you look at the likes, I always use this as a comparison. If you watch TV and you watch, say, a mascara ad, there will always be an asterisk in small writing on the lower right-hand corner that will specify the model in said ad is not just using the mascara. They have eyelash extensions and it has been further digitally enhanced. So perhaps that is lost a little bit in the likes of blogging because we seem to be so relatable and girl next door-esque except for we are also working with such huge brands now like the likes of TV and media that has always been in existence so we have to keep both sides happy which is sometimes a little bit tricky. I do think that some of the side-by-side comparisons of you know pictures from years ago and stuff I think everybody was saying well that's ridiculous if we get up a picture of ourselves in 2004 no one's going to look like the Mae West and I think people kind of acknowledge that as well but you know the word the word online bullying and, and trolling was used and a few of your kind of really big online bloggers and influencers came out and said that anyone who supports and follows or engages with these accounts and pages are setting themselves up to bully and troll and they should really take a look at themselves. I mean, do you think that that's too mm-hmm. harsh? Do you think that it's not online bullying and it's not trolling if people are afraid that perhaps it's false advertising? I think that unfortunately, I know I can speak for a few of the big bloggers, when we all stood together that day when it first surfaced and put out that kind of, um, that statement around bullying, it was a little bit misconstrued. And the reason for that is what we mean with online bullying. Okay, so that's a straw that kind of broke the camel's back to bring it to everybody's attention. However, it's more so the daily hatred that we would receive. I mean, I have, when you open your snaps, I wouldn't even repeat some of the things that I'm I'm often said now. It's very infrequent, thankfully. And of course, it's 99% positive. But that 1% could catch you. I could be in the middle of a meeting that's super positive to do with something that's 
stressing me out as regards my profession behind closed doors that no one knows about and I will just get someone telling me to shut the F up you stupid beep 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 yeah and it's very that's that's where it's too far you know whether it's someone commenting on someone's children and berating them privately by sending abusive messages or whether it's just very invasive um, commentary on somebody's relationship or relationship breakdown when it's very full-on and beyond the realms of a simple comparative photo that's the bullying it's It's when you're literally going about your day and it is personal messages that I just wouldn't I just wouldn't even show online because they are so rude and ignorant and, and out of nowhere It was a massive year for women, but we also like to include everybody in Girls With Goals. So in episode 21, the lads arrived in. So my good friend PJ Gallagher and News Talks, now Virgin Media's Richard Chambers dropped by and it was interesting to say the least. I've never had the opportunity to do internet dating in my life. I've never been able to do it. Why? I've never been on Tinder because it was always hooked up before internet. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There was <laughs> I was in a thing before there was a web and all. Uh, so it was just those apps and all didn't exist. So I never had that chance. I've never done. I've only been on one date in my life. Yeah. One date in Obviously my life. Obviously, it went well. It was tragic. Really? Like, really? Yeah. Tra- yeah was... I find tragic dates are the best because no. you have a story out of them though. Unless it's That's a really true, yeah. bad, bland one. Where no, there's just no. Nothing happened. No, you're right. No, she was a whack. It was yeah. like, you know, it was. I was like, I met her uh, on MySpace at the time. Do you remember MySpace? Hold on a second. Oh, yeah, that is Hold online dating. That is online dating. <laughs> and also, this isn't the story of the the girl that you went and met in a salad bar, right? No, it wasn't a salad bar. Okay, because do you remember? It was a carvery. Remember? It was, <laughs> it was a carvery. It was in the Bowmount house. No, you were, you were telling me about a date that you went on like years ago or something like that. And you were explaining to me and it was actually like a business meeting or something. And you didn't know. And the person... <laughs> Jeez. brought a friend I along I beg your well. pardon you see I would have said I was on two dates except I thought I was on a date no. and it turned out I was just being lured into a, a weird business situation <laughs> and she had about as much interest as me, in me as I did in that poxy salad uh, yeah, I said, brutal. that doesn't sound like a date to me because I've never known anybody to say let's just go down to a salad bar because then you have to queue you have to order your salad sparks don't fly in salad bars no, they don't, no. They just I, don't. I was optimistic though she told me she said this does not sound like a date I was there it's definitely a date I turned up she was there with somebody else it absolutely wasn't a date <laughs> not a good start it was brutal from start to finish but the one in Bowman House was much worse okay Carvery a complete wacko right now I know a Carvery in a Bowman House at about 2 o'clock in the day is a bad way to start it's not a good place uh, but it happened I was on MySpace and she said where do you live and I told her and then she I'm around the corner so I'm going for something to eat if you want something to eat I'm going rock around. and then I met her and we were chatting for a while so she seemed kind of normal and then I met her and then she starts coming out with all this mad shit right oh yeah this is what it was I said to her how did you get here did you drive and she says no I don't drive and I went oh right she goes I was in a really bad accident and I was oh alright okay are you alright now and she goes I'm alright now Um, and I was so what happened were you hurt and she goes yes I died Oh, right. She said, I died. And I was like, this right. pretty serious, though, wasn't yeah, it? I said, yeah, that's about as serious as you can get. <laughs> she's uh, she's dead, right? Uh, and then I said, I, I, I thought Obviously you said... you came back from it. You died, right? And then she goes, yeah, yeah. But she said, most people die, right? Without a blink of an eye, they have hundreds or sometimes thousands of years before they're reincarnated. But this was in the 60s, so I'm not really over it yet. The penny just dropped. I was like, this, I have to go home. 
Have to I go don't know. Home. I'd be kind of feeling. Have to I need. Home. I need to figure what's out, what's going on. Yeah, I'd, I'd sit for another while. I think half that's the journalist in you as well, because I'm just like this is absolute gold. So she said that she died and then reincarnated into the body that she had been in before yeah, and yeah. came back to life from the '60s because the '60s Fantastic. is apparently too quick. You shouldn't be reincarnated in within 40 or 50 years. It's too quick. <laughs> you messes with your yeah. head. You're not over your trauma. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. They again. pull you yeah. back in. So most <laughs> she's like hanging around in the afterlife, talking to fellas who are dead thousands of years and they're all ready to come back she wasn't ready and she's in counselling over I was like right I was, I was the only time I was on a date I never went on another one and I got out of it by saying I'm just going to go to the toilet no, and I know that's you terrible didn't. I did, oh yeah. man you didn't I did, I'm going to the toilet and then I said something came up later I was terrible I know it was really bad <laughs> something came up in the toilet <laughs> I wouldn't believe what's going on in there it's unbelievable PJ you left this woman who's already going through an awful lot clearly I sent her a message really fast in, in fairness like okay. her, her mind space would have pinged within seconds. I was going to ask, what was the question that you asked straight after the reincarnation story? I didn't ask any questions. I said, that's grand. And I said, are you enjoying your food? And <laughs> I, then I think I talked about the turkey for a bit. And um, then I made an excuse. <laughs> dry in it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird question, Richard, but like, can you top that? Not really. Dating wise? Um, like... Bad dates. Of weird. I find bad dates. It was yeah. I had a. I, I mean, saying you're a lot younger toilet. than PJ. Like you're yeah, a lot younger. Yeah, I have tried younger. online dating. Thing. I've gone on a few Tinder dates. <laughs> what a dig! Well, that I mean, that's, that's really harsh. I think that's uncalled for. Like, you know, you're really setting us up against each other here. You're now. decades younger than PJ, so obviously you <laughs> you can do online dating. Yes, you can also do online dating. I mean, you, you can never say never. Yeah, yeah. I want to join the Trump site. Yeah, I'm going to join us. I want to meet people. I think I'd relate to people on there. Tell them the reincarnation story and they'll sleep with you straight away. That's yeah, what yeah. I think. But would anyway. you want it? There is a rule. Never put your penis in crazy, isn't there? And like, I reckon that that site is full of the craziest people ever, isn't it? I have so, never heard that. I, I didn't know, know that was a I, saying. I actually don't want to repeat it. I, so. <laughs> I don't want to I say think that. It is. It's like it's it's like. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because so, crazy. It's like set. It's like petrol and matches. Crazy can be dormant for years, yeah. but sex and crazy. It's like it's like petrol and it matches. Unleashes it. It, unle- yeah, it unleashes yeah. the crazy in all people. Jesus <laughs> Christ, <laughs> Richard. Tell me the online dating scene at the moment yeah. in Ireland. What's it like? Um. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, it's so varied. I mean, I actually, like people go on and say, oh, Tinder and Bumble and all these things are bad now. But in a way, it's great because it expands your, 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 I don't know, portfolio is a, a rotten word. Isn't it? <laughs> it's a portfolio. But that's what it's like. But that's the, that, that is the downside of it is that it is, it does become so disposable. You're just presented with pictures and you're making snap judgments on people. Yeah, you and are. And you're like, nah. Yeah. Has stupid hair left, like, or can don't I, like her views or whatever. Can I ask you a question about Bumble, right? Because Bumble is the app where the girl makes the first move. Mm. So I've done it. And sometimes the lads still ghost me and don't talk to me and I'm just like I don't understand yeah. that's the whole point of what it is what I think is, a lot of people what use, is wrong with you people uh, basically are you essentially asking how could anybody <laughs> how give me the attention I'm looking the for the insolence on yes. the internet mm. I just don't understand it I don't understand why people don't just say hey how's it going I don't like that though and that's the biggest faux pas isn't it of using Tinder and Bumble and mm. that is the hey message or the just what's to up? start it off like that's completely 
Like, what are you meant to do with that? What are you meant to do with anything, though? You're talking to a stranger that you like just because of their pictures. So, well, no, you're also getting a little bio. If that bio is 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 great, oh, I've never written in the bio ever, never. Why then? People don't know what you're saying. Hey, and they're like, I don't know what. Who is this? This woman, loon. If you write down something, they can say, "So I see you." Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, you don't want to give too much of yourself away. And if I give like my job away, for example, or if I say anything about a niche sport that I play, for example, they'd be able to Google me like that, and you don't want that either. Just make sure. Well, most so people do have oh, that acceptance that oh, they do I Google that. everybody of course you got to do the research yeah, got to do the research really there was this actually on, in terms of that and how bad that can be in terms of the research thing my friend who's a housemate of mine at the minute she was swiping away on Tinder mm-hmm. I think it was on Tinder and she found this guy looked really cool worked for some sort of startup company and she was like okay I'm going to Google him he has his Instagram there linked into it so I can find his Facebook has his surname Google's the guy the very first three results are news stories from the States. While he was on his J1, he broke into a bakery no. and stole donuts at like three in the morning. It's like a little clip. It's like a viral clip of him stealing donuts. It's like... Well, that's not what you how want. Are you gonna, how, ah. how can you walk away from that? In episode 26, we sorted out our finances and this was actually a surprise hit for us. I didn't know how interested everyone would be in talking about bills and savings and mortgages. And it turned out people were very interested. So financial expert Susan Hayes was my best friend by the end of this episode. In terms of going back to kind of women and finances, when is it important, and I suppose you could probably take my age and then minus six years if we're going to really get into it, but when is it important for women to start focusing on their finance? So there's a phrase that my mother always says to me. She always says that 20s are for learning and 30s are for earning. So is that something that you think there's any truth in? Um, I mean, because I think like as a woman, you know, we've, we've done podcast on it before and we've kind of talked about the struggles that some women face in terms of like asking for more money in their yeah. jobs and, and yeah. these kind of things um, and for years I can say personally that I was just so happy to be getting contracts that mm-hmm. I wasn't really focused on it but I'm at a different stage in my life now so when do you think that for a woman that you should be you know I suppose knowing your worth and knowing what exactly you should be getting uh, I would say from when you're in college actually yeah. uh, I would and it's very easy to do it by the way it's, mm-hmm. it's very easy to do it because uh, two resources I'm now going to mention uh, as I say you don't have to go on this journey at all on your own if you are somebody at a, any stage in your adult life at all so that means 18 onwards a great website that again we're all paying for and they do a superb job is called consumerhelp.ie Okay, and that is again a state funded independent website and there's a huge amount of, of really useful tools and everything on it that I'll bring up if, should they be relevant in this conversation but one of them is life stages okay. so if I'm in college what should I be knowing what should I be asking what rights do I have you know what are the financial elements or what things am I entitled to that I, that I don't know about um, similarly moving into a house getting married yeah. uh, starting your first job getting a pension and so on so at whatever stage you're at maybe you're somebody thinking about having kids maybe you're somebody who's thinking about moving abroad maybe you're somebody who's thinking about going back to college and so on all of those they're all life stages yeah. and consumer help has a full list of things that you need to be considerate of. That's one of the outlets yeah. Yeah. Now on the other point your worth. 
Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, there's uh, some great work done here by recruitment companies. So recruitment companies will have salary guides for you. So if I put in that I work in this particular industry and I have five years experience, um, those salary guides will tell me in an interview or in a promotion or in a review conversation where I could say my salary expectations are. So you don't have to come up with a figure yourself. That's the question that every body freaks out at yeah. in interviews and there's actually there's been studies done on it I can't remember the research now but bosses have said that you can be in an interview situation and you ask that very thing and usually they'll leave it to the last about what your salary expectations are and mm-hmm. they have said that women who have had a great interview who are coming across as incredibly confident and very assured in what they do they just kind of go into themselves a little bit and I've, mm-hmm. I'm guilty of it I've done it before as well there's something about rattling off a number and it's almost like they're putting you on the spot Mm -hmm. and so you don't have to answer that do you or you shouldn't do you think you should answer that? Oh I think you should yeah but I mean but the thing is is that the way in which you do with confidence is 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 let's okay again I'm going to put myself in a scenario where I have worked in this particular industry and I've done my research and I've looked at two salary guides from two recruitment companies and I they say that with my experience, let's say that I should, that I'm my salary expectation should be sixty five thousand, right? I'm just picking that figure out of my head. Yeah. So the way I would say that is, so you ask me what's my salary expectation? So well, I would say uh, seventy five thousand euro, based on the fact that having done my research, that somebody with my experience and my role um, would command a salary of sixty five thousand. But because I've worked internationally, or because I've managed a team, or because I have a master's, or because I'm willing to work flexibly, yeah. or because I'm willing to travel, or because I'm willing to take uh, and I'm I'm willing to do something extra, I think that that is a fair level given today's uh, given t- yeah. today's environment. And I suppose the the person that is interviewing you, or the person who you're in that situation with, is not going to go no. Like they're going to just take whatever you say, write it down and then mm-hmm. go away from it. So I suppose it's kind of overcoming that fear of putting well, the figure out there, I guess, as I su- well. Well, now I suppose what I would say there is is two things. Is you're going to get paid for your job. I mean, mm. that's that's an expert. So th- there shouldn't be a fear around asking for a figure. If they push back, you can always deal then and you can negotiate then but because I have been seven and a half years in business I have to do this all the time every time someone says okay Susan so what's the price for I have to answer this question and practice numbs that (laughs) practice numbs that feeling because well you but it's it's, I do the same thing Eve I do the very same thing I say well this is what I charge in other areas or this is generally what the competition will charge I do the same thing I evidence it I yeah. evidence it and I say here's why why it's worth it so what I would say is that evidence it that's a really good way of yeah, kind that, of thinking that's it. about it yeah. yeah that's that's all it is but rather than it being Neve has asked me for 65,000 euro mm. you're telling me that the re- that the research you have done shows that you're uh, that, that, that a fair wage for this would be 65,000 you're not saying this yeah the research is In episode 35, we were joined by Millie McIntosh of Made in Chelsea fame. So the woman legitimately was so stunning in real life that it seemed like a fan followed her everywhere she went. And I felt like a thumb beside her. Uh, She was great fun. I've I've watched Made in Chelsea the whole way up and I think from the very beginning it was definitely like it's said that it was structured reality yeah but it definitely put you all as like a group of friends who hung out was that the case or did you have to go through a casting process first um, I didn't go through I didn't go through that process I think that things maybe have changed a little bit over the years I mean yeah. it's still going now I find it very entertaining still okay um, but when I 
I didn't go through like a kind of casting process. I just happened to be friends with some of the people that were doing it at the time okay. and the producers um, kind of asked me to do it. And I said no the first time um, they asked me. I was, I just, it didn't even have a name at this point. We didn't know what it was going to be. Like we didn't know it was going to be so successful. Mm-hmm. That made it would have almost made it more scary, I think, to do. Yeah. We just, my dad was literally like, I was explaining it to him. And he said, you know, is there just going to be some weird man like following you around with a video camera? I was like, no, it'll be like a whole crew. Yeah. He just like couldn't like fathom it. He was like, is this real? Like when I came like talked to them about it. And it's on series like 15 now or something cra- yeah. crazy like that. So, I mean. It's changed I- a lot like in terms of cast, obviously, because it's, you know, people have grown up a bit and left and there's like a kind of younger cast now. Yeah. Do you still watch it? Um, occasionally, like I haven't had much time to watch it recently. But if I if I catch an episode, like I find it really enjoyable. I saw something that your now fiance and at the time he was kind of your boyfriend back in 2011. So that's Hugo Taylor. I saw that he said something about the first two seasons of Made in Chelsea was actually really realistic, and now it's definitely changed. So I mean, do you kind yeah, of? I don't. I don't know how they film it now. Right. But for me, when I was on it, it was always like real like you know you you were literally finding things out so you weren't sent a script or anything no there was there was never a script it right. was um i guess it was produced in a way that they they had the story had to make sense in terms of what they were filming each week mm-hmm. um but they it, this they might say you know can you ask this question because we need to like tell the story of like what's happened a little bit yeah and occasionally things would happen off camera and you'd have to then right okay you know do it on camera and did your family have any hesitancy about you being a part of something like this because I mean in 2011 if we were to look at the states the hills yeah. was the biggest show yeah. in America at the time I was obsessed with yeah, it yeah I was so, a big fan of and that. this was kind of like the UK version of yeah. it so I mean did anybody tell you you shouldn't do this for your own like business maybe or for your own reputation or something I mean I suppose at 21 though it was an opportunity it was an opportunity and actually one of the producers who kind of um, persuaded me to do it and was like a good friend to me during my time um, in the show, she just said, you know, think of this as like a platform for what you might want to do after it. Yeah. And kind of made me look at it like that. And that's kind of when I, I spoke to my best friend about it at the time, Kagi, and she, we kind of decided to, to do it together. So we kind of went into it like allies, which was really nice. And she's still one of your closest yeah, friends. Yeah, she's still yeah. one of my best friends. I saw yeah. from like your hen party pictures and stuff like that. Um, so you were 21 when it started. Um, if I look back at pictures of myself when I was 21, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not a good. I mean, you're just sight. you're still like figuring out a lot at 21. You have to try a lot of a lot of looks to work out what you know exactly. Still so growing I was, into. I yourself. was going to ask you: Do you yeah. ever look back on some maybe styles or images that you wore on the show Definitely. and cringe? And also, have you ever Google imaged yourself? Google image myself. Yeah, so like, like for like old images. Type your name in and then click on the images button to see, yeah, if, yeah. if any. Have you done that, yeah? But sometimes it might, like, you know, when you just want it, it's kind of like trial and error. You're like, that hairstyle didn't work so well or like yeah. that, like that, you know, makeup look wasn't, it's quite a good way to kind of see what you think looked good or didn't look good. Yeah, but, I mean, for me though, I'm very glad that there wasn't reality yeah, TV when um, I was in my early 20s. It's also, that was obviously... Some images that I wish weren't there, but um, yeah. you know you have to go through lots of kind of make mistakes with what your your look is. Um, but there was a lot of um, fake tan for me, and like quite like kind of just you know, as younger it was just I liked wearing a kind of heavier makeup look, mm-hmm. the mini dress, yeah, you know, <laughs> big hair, mm. um, never a coat, just like really really high heels. 
um, just yeah, but just dressed in a slightly less refined way. So what about now? If you were to describe your style then in say three words, how would you do that? I feel like I'm always just giving you words. You don't have to do that. If you were to <laughs> if you were to style, just sum up your style, what would it, it be? It was like everything was like mini dress. It was always something short. Mm-hmm. It was kind of yeah. It was quite. It was quite Sloney. Sloney. Yeah. What's that? Quite mean? like like quite like Chelsea. Oh right. So. <laughs> I have no idea that what was that even is. Probably slightly before the show, like kind of like it was like UGG boots, denim mini skirts, like okay. raffer and jumper. And would you say you've evolved then? Backcombed hair, like blue eyeliner. There's not did. wrong with blue eyeliner. I actually wore blue eyeliner last <laughs> but like, week. A, like under the eye though, okay. or like did you do it on the top? No, I did it like proper in the. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, yeah. a lot of people commented actually, not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're like. That's interesting. Very 70s. That's yeah, what I, was doing. I, I love blue eyeliner. I think we yeah. should bring it back. I think, well, I tried to anyway last <laughs> week and uh, it's not working. Another favourite episode of yours and mine was episode 39. So the health minister, Simon Harris, came into studio. We talked about the Eighth Amendment and we asked him about being woke. So the Eighth Amendment has been repealed. It has. Collective sigh of relief. We were very much behind that here at Her.ie. And there are a few moments that kind of stand out over the course of the campaign. Um, One of them was your primetime debate. We can't uh, shy away from that. Now, I don't know if you saw this article that we ran on site, but it went pretty viral. Um, So I'm sure you did. But it was basically, it was written by our own Jade Hayden and it came out right after the debate. And obviously you're focusing on really crucial issues, which we are going to talk about. But the headline reads... How much of a woke bay <laughs> is Simon Harris a definitive analysis? And I suppose the question that I have for you is, do you know what a woke bay is? No. No, though I think I think it was appearing so much, I, I googled it <laughs> uh, at one stage. But don't ask me to define it. I'll just give you a little <laughs> quick definition. So a woke bay, it's an adjective. It's a boyfriend or usually male significant other who is progressive and enlightened in general. He's aware of current events and is sympathetic to plights against racism and sexism. I'm happy to be one, so... That's really good. If we were to use it in a sentence, my boyfriend suggested we go to the Women's March on January 21st. I guess you could say that I've got a woke bay. <laughs> <laughs> so, all very good things. But, I mean, obviously the debate was really focused on serious matters, yeah. and you nailed it, but you must have been aware of the aftermath. Like, your eye roll was turned into a gif. So, I mean, how did you feel about becoming essentially the Mick Jagger of the political sphere for a moment within this kind of heavy debate that was going on and weighing so heavily on the country I've I, I need to I need to say this bit I've never been more nervous doing a, doing a debate really? or a television interview in, in my political career you didn't career. seem nervous I, I think that's because so first I think the reason I was nervous was you're used to as a politician debating the issues of the day of and the back and forth of politics this was very different mm-hmm. I, I knew how many people were depending on us repealing the Eighth Amendment. Yeah. They needed us to do this. And I was really conscious, both at the back and to the forefront of my mind, of all of the women that I had met who had told me so many stories about the pain and suffering they'd been put through by this country as a result of the Eighth Amendment. Yeah. And I knew if, I knew those stories could never be untold. Yeah. So I, I, I just couldn't imagine what we were going to do as a country if we didn't repeal the Eighth. So next thing, you're thrust into a TV studio, bright light studio audience, and you've got whatever, an hour or whatever it was, yeah. uh, to debate these issues, you know, a couple of days before polling so I was completely uh, I was completely nervous I suppose adrenaline probably took over and mm-hmm. um, when you're in a television studio and you're you're, you're in the kind of thick of it you, you never really have a sense of, of how it is going um, until after and um, so you didn't feel at the time that I'm nailing it 
No. Oh, wow. I, I, was, I was just very much in the zone. Everyone at home thought that. Everyone at home was like, Twitter was... Yeah, no, I, 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 I saw that after. The, the previous but, debate, I think there was definitely a sense that we hadn't, you know, the, the repeal side hadn't necessarily, you don't want to say won or lost, but like, I think we felt like the wind had been taken out of our sails yeah. a bit with what was happening on the no side. And I think that this was at a crucial point. You see, point. I, I, I said it at the time that I felt the first debate I, I, and maybe it was just because there were so many people involved in it mm. but I just felt there was too much hooping and hollering definitely you know there were too many people jeering and clapping and it was kind of like a rowdy football match I've never seen anything like it I thought it, it was yeah. really I thought it was just really disappointing because yeah. it is such a serious and sensitive issue regardless of people's views on it in fairness to the primetime debate I thought it was pretty respectful mm-hmm. uh, both sides got their chance to put their point of view forward and, and I've always felt that the facts were on our side here and if we just got a chance we live in a I, I I was always confident that we lived in a country where people were very compassionate and if you gave them the facts and the information and the time and space to consider it they'd vote in that way yeah. and uh, I was delighted that the primetime debate gave us that opportunity yeah. um, um, to do that I must say I, I still you know the, the day I went down to vote and everyone in the country went out to vote I mean if you had told me it was going to be repealed by such a large margin yeah. um, I, I think we were all collectively taken aback I, I met lots of people now who say they predicted it but they didn't predict it at the time I think, I think a lot of people thought it would pass but it would be much closer and the fact that it's passed by such a large margin definitely makes the next steps easier now. I think you know in terms well, you, you beautifully skirted the issue there of, of your uh, feelings of being a woke fae <laughs> but you did it in such an eloquent way that, that I'm just going to say fine but you saw the signs you saw the Kiss Me Simon Harris signs I'm sure that you did um, so in terms of the Eighth Amendment now obviously there was a little bit of referendum fatigue afterwards I yeah. think I think everybody in the country just kind of went yeah. and then like almost stepped away from it slightly yeah. but can you tell us like what are the next steps now in terms of the actual legislation yeah. I know that you said recently that it's going to be um, bef- I think it's going to be around autumn time or That's something it. like that before we can see this I think there's a few things coming through the courts exactly. and, and stuff like this so I mean you know just if people are really thinking about like what's the next step and when yeah. can we see this yeah. happen So basically because of the, the decision of the people now there's three things we need to do to, to turn that into a reality we need to pass a law mm-hmm. we need to put in place clinical guidelines how are the doctors going to operate this and we need to regulate the medication uh, that had been illegal in Ireland up right. until people voted so they're the three bodies of work we need to do we need to get all of them done fully done fully completed so services can commence on the 1st of January 2019 so for my part which is the the putting forward of the law I'm going to go back to government uh, next month in July and we will publish probably on my department's website uh, the text of the bill that we'll introduce into the doll. I can't as you say rightly introduce it in the doll until the courts finish finish their business yeah. so I would hope that we'd get this passed through the doll and the Shannon kind of September October time okay. and that we'd have these services commenced uh, by the 1st of January so that, that's the timeline Brilliant so the momentum is moving things, it is, things, no, things are, are happening things are going very well and I, and, I, and I think because the people voted in such resounding numbers it's encouraging to hear even TDs who personally voted no saying I'm going to respect the will of the people like we weren't Alva Smith of Together Free Us rightly said like we weren't just given a mandate by the people of Ireland we were given an instruction get on and do your job now and make this country uh, more compassionate and caring for women so that's what we've got to do Sticking with the political theme, we have the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar in for a special bonus feature and of course the big question on my lips was the gender pay gap So basically, I'm sitting here, I'm a woman in Ireland, and I'm approximately making 14% less than my male counterpart. So firstly, as a man, and secondly, as a leader, can you understand 
how infuriating that is for women. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, like we have, we've had equal pay for equal work mm -hmm. for a long time in Ireland. I didn't know when that law came in, probably 20 or 30 years ago. Um, but notwithstanding that, there is a gap between what the average woman is paid and the average man is paid, and there's lots of different reasons for that. Mm -hmm. um, and they've developed over time. Uh, but one of the things that we want to do as a government is bring in the first law uh, that Ireland's ever had around um, gender pay equality, essentially. Yeah. And that's really following what they did in England. And it's to uh, essentially require that employers uh, publish their, their gender pay gap uh, and explain why it is. Now, sometimes there may be an explanation and maybe that um, their female staff are, you know, are more, more likely part-time than full-time, different things like that. Um, but if there isn't a legitimate explanation, well, then we want to know why. Um, we want to uh, name and fame the good employers that are paying their male staff and female Sounds staff the same. Great. Uh, and uh, name and shame and embarrass uh, those who aren't. But I think a lot of it really, if we're going to achieve um, gender pay equality, and I want us to do that, is making sure that more women get promoted. Yeah. Uh, and you'll often see in, the, in a huge number of organisations that as you go up the ranks, uh, there are fewer women. And that's what gives rise to uh, the pay gap in a lot of cases. Um, and one of the things we really try to do as a government uh, is to improve that. So if you take state boards, for example, you know, the boards of all the, all the semi-state yeah. companies and the state agencies, uh, last year for the first time, the majority of people who we appointed to state boards through the past system are women. Um, now over 40% of people on state boards are women. Want to get that up to 50-50. Um, we're also now, because we've done that, you know, leading by example, we're going to put a lot of pressure now on businesses to do the same thing. You'll often see big business, businesses and there's only one or two women on the board and yeah. is it not therefore surprised that when it comes to appointing the CEO or the senior management, it's going to be a man. they're men too, yeah. Mm. Uh, and even in government, um, uh, at those top level positions, SecGen, Assistant SecGen, uh, last year about 40% were women. Uh, we're still nowhere near equality, but they're the kind of things we're trying to do. Uh, as a government to make sure there are more women in senior positions and I think that brings about equality but more than that I think it actually brings about better organisations because uh, when you have a decent balance of men and women around the table when decisions are made uh, more often than not a better decision is made. Well that's it, I'm going to leave you with perhaps my absolute favourite moment of the year when Paul Ryder, panto star, drag queen, creative director an all-round legend would not stop talking about pooping on a bus. This is the person that Paul Ryder has turned me into. <laughs> and in other news, Whitney just came on the radio, so it's going to be a good day. Even there, though I tried to resist, you will last on my list. Put me in your shows. Man's gonna do. I'm actually mortified. <laughs> no, I, I, you've gone completely red and I'm yeah. delighted. That doesn't sound as bad as you think. Like, I've had worse auditions <sighs> than that. Really? So you actually sounded A-okay on that, on that. I've had worse auditions than that. But I, I, <laughs> I, I was delighted because I was thinking, yes, she's found her voice. We're going to do voice notes for the rest of our lives. So I was delighted. It's funny. I send voice notes now all the time and it's really just inspired by you. Because you looked down on me. I did. When I first did it. You were like... I, 
like pol- that you you love to send voice notes. And I was like, yeah, because it's so much easier to just get your point across and feel the burn of what I'm trying to I'm say. I'm just waiting for this embarrassment burn to go. <laughs> like it's it's literally like all over my body at the moment. But I've started to send voice notes. Like I send them to my boyfriend and stuff, and he responds, and he always says thank you. He's always like, thank you so much for the voice note. I'm never gonna send one, but I really appreciate them. So no, but people you are still the, not used you to this. You said the same to me. You were like, oh, that's so nice that you send voice notes. I'm never gonna send you one back. Yeah. And there you are singing Whitney Houston's greatest hits down the phone at me. <laughs> so, you know, there's, 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 there's a place for everyone in the voice so note world. So y- you literally are going from strength to strength. You brought me a present today, which I'm going to wear and I'm going to put it up on my Instagram. Basically, you have merchandise now. It's a T-shirt with your face on it. <laughs> but if your career is 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 l- missing something, you're not quite sure what it is, would you consider a podcast that is just voice notes? Oh my god The conversation Oh my god Because you could have like The X-Files Where people break up And they mm. break up over voice notes And you could have them And then you could have like The dirty chat ones Yeah I think it's an like, untapped resource Of yes. hilarity Oh my god That's the new podcast Yeah I don't know If I should have given you that actually Maybe we should do A, a voice note podcast Coming here. up after the break The voice note podcast With Paul Ryder Yes, yes. There you go I'm, Right well there you go I can be your manager Yeah 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 Just put me in one of your shows But anyway You are working <laughs> That's the second time You've said that to me In the last two weeks Put me in a show And then moved on What shows are you doing These days Oh god um, Well I'm going on tour In October Okay So we're going to Glasgow Manchester Birmingham London And then we finish In Vicar Street and this is your drag show? This is a drag show. It's called The Heels of Hell. It's okay. like all the RuPaul's girls mixed with some of us Irish queens. Amazing. And we're going on a week-long tour. We've just spent 10 days on a bus. Together? Together. With bunks. I'm claustrophobic at the best of times. And I'm sorry to be disgusting. You can't poo unless the bus is stopped. Why? Because it, it's whatever way the motions of the oceans work. You cannot poo. The motions of the oceans in your body or in the motions of the oceans of the bus? The bus. Okay. <laughs> I was Not like, my body. I'm pretty sure you can poo wherever. So like, I, and I'm telling this story to everybody because I'm delighted that I'm going on tour, but I'm also not delighted that I cannot poo at will when I need to. <laughs> because well, I can't believe I have this discussion. I'm never going to marry ever, ever in my life. <laughs> Maybe not someone on the bus. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who you're bunking with? Like, yeah, have you like been? We're, we're bunking with like a load of drag queens yeah. and then like four very sexy male dancers. Oh my god! So like, I'm gonna just be like, "Morning, everybody!" As I cramp my stomach, <laughs> being like. Did everyone have a good sleep? Like, and then he, like, and he, trying to get myself off the bus as quickly as possible to poo in a bush. <laughs> like, I mean, oh. there are garages. Please don't poo in a bush. But imagine having to be the one to ask the man in the bus, can we stop at the garage so I can take a giant dump? Like, it's not going to be attractive. We need to move on subjects. I've talked about pooing for three minutes. <laughs> But so, aside from what the, the just <laughs> aside from the poop tour, <laughs> which it will now be called Forevermore. <laughs> the poop tour. Oh my god! Do the beautiful male dancers even poop? Really? I Do you ever so like either. encounter people that are so beautiful that you're like, you don't? You poop. don't poop. I especially don't fart. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that bus is going to be full of farts. <laughs> so next week we'll be back for a New Year's Eve special. I'll be joined by Becca O'Keefe and Louise Carroll to talk about the stories that shook us in 2018. So I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and we will chat to you next week. 